The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Tonight I'm teaching from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, the way of prayer. And next week, Pastor Daniel will be bringing us the way of power. Let's go ahead and pray for our time together. So, Father, we gather together. This is important for us, even as Pastor Martin was talking about praying together, gathering together. But we pray together, knowing, acknowledging, embracing the fact that you're here with us and that there's something that takes place. There's something that takes place as, as, we, as we notch out some time, as we come, as we worship together corporately, as we study your word, there's something that the Spirit does in our midst. And so we invite you to do what you want to do tonight. We thank you for our pastor, Pastor Ray. We pray that you'll bless uh, he and Vic, Vicky as they get some rest and that you'll bring them back to us refreshed as we, begin, as we continue to make our way through the book of Acts. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to know that I was a little guy. I know it's hard to imagine now. I was a little guy. I had a lot of hair. I was born with a lot of hair. Um, again, you have to use your imagination on that. And from time to time, my dad would come to me and he said, come on, I'm going to a meeting. Now, it was always hard for me to tell whether that was an invitation or it, I was, it, it was a command. It was something that I never was quite sure, but I enjoyed going to meetings with my dad. It meant that we would get up early on a Saturday or Sunday morning, that we would go to a bank uh, and, and use their conference center or to a school and use their cafeteria. And there were even those times that we would find our way into a classroom in a church. I remember pulling up in the parking lot with my father and seeing a group of people finishing off a cigarette before they went in. As we would go into the room, there would be those who, had, who were already there. I remember the smell of strong coffee percolated long before I arrived there. But if there's one thing I remember the most, it was the donuts. Oh, the donuts were wonderful. As a matter of fact, if there was anything that caused me to want to go with my dad to a meeting, it was always the donuts. And if you can imagine this little guy sitting there as one person after another stood behind a pulpit or a podium like this and began to share from their hearts the things that they had experienced in the course of their life, listen, in the course of their life on a road to recovery, I would sit there and drink it in. Some of their stories were tragic. Some of their stories wove in a message of hope through their recovery. And then I remember at the conclusion of the meeting, they would stand they would hold hands in a circle. I always enjoyed weaseling my way in there a little bit, you know. And then they would begin, regardless of their gender, regardless of their age, their voices would rise up, our Father who art in heaven. I can think of no more appropriate place for the Lord's prayer to be prayed, to be uttered, than a group of people who know the difficulty of life and who, who desire to be set free from their addiction. I want you to think about this tonight. I was thinking I was, I was in the foyer while you guys were worshiping. But I want you to think about this. Prayer refreshes our soul. 
Prayer refreshes, revives, renews, restores our soul. During our time together, we are going to consider the way of prayer. I want you to think of prayer as as merely an ongoing, never-ending conversation with God. Our our passage that we'll consider tonight, again from Matthew chapter 6, represents Jesus' teaching on prayer recorded in the Sermon on the Mount. This great sermon describes God's king, what God's kingdom looks like in the lives of his people. Jesus' teaching provides perspective on two aspects of prayer. First, there is the praise or the worship or the adoration. And second, there is the petition or the request. It is important to know as you sit here tonight, whatever your experience has been with prayer, whether it's something that you feel comfortable with, if it's something that you attempt from time to time, or it's something that you know about that you've never, ever attempted, I want you to know that when you pray, God hears you. That when you pray, God hears your request. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Luke writes, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John, John, who's the Baptist, taught his disciples to pray. So over the course of the relationship, the disciples had watched Jesus. They watched him up close and personal, and they watched him from a distance. There were times that the guys went to bed, and then in the morning they would wake up, and Jesus was gone. There were times that they went to bed, and Jesus wasn't there. And they began to talk amongst themselves, where is he going? Well, the scriptures tell us that he would find a solitary place. That the inference is, is that he would pray through the night to his father. As a matter of fact, the disciples knew Jesus' prayer life so well that when Judas Iscariot was, was going to betray him, he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus would be in Gethsemane praying to his father. And so one day, one of his disciples were not given his name, but one of his disciples comes to him. And he says, you know, Jesus, when we go to the disciples' convention, John the Baptist, well, we sit down and we talk with them. We have a cup of coffee or a falafel or shawarma. And we're talking with John's disciples and, and, and we're asking them, how's the ministry going? And they're going, oh, well, you know, since Jesus came, our baptisms are starting to decrease a little bit, but we're still getting plenty of people to dunk in the Jordan. How's it going with you? And all of us, you know, the Jesus' disciples will say, well, you know, the ministry's going great. The crowds are getting larger. The miracles are getting more powerful. And then John's disciples say, well, you know, John has taught us a special prayer uh, that we might have for our own. And based on that, I believe Jesus' disciple comes to him and say, Jesus, we need a prayer. But we don't need just any prayer. The Jewish faith, the Old Testament, has prayer after prayer after prayer. But what Jesus' disciples say is, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. Teach us to be like you. At his disciples' request, Jesus provides a model, an example of prayer. The prayer has two movements, and, and, and I would ask that you would, that you would notice this. There's two movements. First, there's the movement that's heavenward. There's the part of the prayer where I'm sure that as the early church prayed, their eyes tilted towards the ceiling or towards the sky with three petitions. One, that God's, God's name would be honored. 
Secondly, that God's rule or his kingdom would come to earth. And then thirdly, that God's will would be done. These are the expressions, these are the requests that are made as the church looked heavenward. The second movement is earthbound. The second movement takes place in our world. The second movement takes place on the ground floor. But it also is expressed with three requests. First, for God's provision for our lives. Secondly, for God's forgiveness of our sins. And thirdly, for our protection from evil. There is a request for our daily provision. There is a request for God's will to be done. And lastly, there's the recognition that every single one of us, every single follower of Jesus, will in some way encounter the evil of this world. Although some have called this the perfect prayer, our challenge is found in its familiarity. Reciting words from memory doesn't mean that we've actually prayed. You see, prayer is relational. That's one thing that I really want you to take heart to tonight, wherever you're at on the spectrum of praying, that prayer is relational. Remember I said that prayer is an ongoing conversation with God. I want you to draw your memory back to a garden. I want you to remember when man, Adam and Eve, walked with God in the cool of the day. I want you to remember that it was that there was an intimacy a transparency a vulnerability even that flowed between God and man when you think about prayer today I want you to think I want you to have that mental image in your mind of man coming and walking with God and simply expressing what was on his heart we were created my friends for Eden's stroll it was a time when childlike trust was the normal setting on man's heart. I also want you to remember this just as we begin here, that Jesus' words, our Father, our daily bread, our debts, and our debtors, assume the existence of a spiritual community who together turn their hearts corporately together. We turn our hearts together toward heaven with our feet firmly planted on this ever-changing world. Well, let's go ahead and begin. Jesus' prayer first looks to heaven. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wants us to know as we sit here tonight, Jesus wants us to understand that God is, is not distant that God is near. God is near to you. God is with you. God is so close that when you speak, he hears. God is so close that when you think, he hears. God is so close that when you turn your heart, your attention to him, he draws near to you. We must resist thinking that no one hears our prayer. We must resist thinking that because our prayer isn't answered immediately, that somehow it wasn't heard, it was heard. Actually, the idea of prayer, at least within the pages of the New Testament, is that it's persistent. It's that we come again and again and again with our request, knowing that God hears and that knowing that God will act no, my friend, every word you speak is heard by an attentive God. 
It is likely Bible scholars believe that Jesus prayed in Aramaic so that when he addressed uh, 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 his father, he would cry out, Abba, which is equivalent to our Papa or our Daddy. But I want you to remember that as we look at this prayer tonight, that it serves as a framework for the disciples. It is the disciples' prayer. It is to provide guidance in their prayer life. The word our Father suggests that believers, again, coming together and praying. Let me say that again. It suggests that it is the normal, regular habit of us in whatever we're doing to stop and to pray. So we're gathering for a meal, we pray. If we're gathering just to, to talk on the phone, that we pray. That the thing that binds us together is to walk with him. And that the thing that draws heaven into this world is us continually praying. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes to Gentile believers the following words. And because you are his sons, because you are God's children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, listen, Abba, Father. Our relationship with God is rooted in his being our father, our being his children. A couple of things to think about. Oh, that little breeze coming down through here is just fine right now, I'll tell you that. Think about this. Please consider this. Prayer is as natural as breathing. Prayer is as natural as breathing. Sometimes when we go to a, a group of believers, we sit and we listen. And we listen to the words of others and we somehow compare ourselves and we think, I can't pray the way he prays. I can't pray the way she prays. And that's good. Because you're supposed to pray the way you pray. You're supposed to use your words. You're supposed to use your vernacular, your terminology. The eloquence or the religiosity is wonderful, but don't ever compare yourself to somebody else. It will discourage you from praying. Prayer is as natural as, as breathing. It is a life-giving discipline. It is a life-giving discipline. Prayer is the cry of a child. Uh, we raised uh, two daughters, and I remember in our home that there would be the occasional in Fallbrook where we raised our family. There would be in the summer the occasional thunderstorm. Uh, you'd see the thunderheads over the mountains in the evening. And then in the course of the night, there would be that loud crack of lightning and kaboom. And my, my children would cry out in the night. Now, they knew dad would never come because he slept so soundly, but mom would be down that hallway. Listen, prayer is the cry of a child, but it is also the embrace of a parent. Some of you are sitting here tonight. It's been a long time since somebody embraced you. It's been a long time since somebody extended a hand just to hold your hand and stroll. It's been a long time since somebody called your name. Somebody initiated the conversation, initiated time together. My friends, prayer is the embrace of heaven for you. And then lastly, prayer is, is devotion, not duty. 
When we pray for our Father's name to be hallowed, what we're asking is that beginning with me, beginning with me, that he, God, be honored, even revered by the way I live my life, by the way I conduct my conversation, by the way I treat people, that God's name is reverenced, it is hallowed, it is esteemed by the way I treat others. This also means that my requests are consistent with his name. That is that everything I ask of God, everything I pray for, everything is consistent with the name of God. And when you hear the name of God, what we're talking about is his character, is his nature. As a matter of fact, the reason we can say at the conclusion of a prayer, in Jesus' name, we're saying that everything I prayed for is consistent with Jesus in everything that he represents to us. In Jesus' priestly prayer in John 17, he, he prays to the Father. He says, I have manifested or revealed your name, the Father's name, to the people to whom you gave me out of this world. I have manifested, I have made real, I have communicated through everything that I've said, through my mannerisms, through my attitude, through my miracles. I have communicated to all those who follow you, Father. I have communicated to what you are like. I don't know if you get those invitations from, some, from time to time. You, know, you, you open the mail and there's a, a very nice invitation, maybe with tissue and maybe a scented or maybe a little glitter falls out and you've been invited to a wedding. And, and you look at the names on there and you go, oh, good, oh, great. And then you check your calendar to make sure that you're available. And, and then you think, oh man, I can't wait to be there. And, and, and I'm going to see this man and this woman become one in, in holy matrimony. And, and there's going to be a lot of us there. And we're going to celebrate. We're going to have fun. And some of us are even going to try and dance. Uh, not me, but, but some of them are going to try and dance and hopefully do a good job. Or, or maybe you get an invitation to a graduation. Somebody's concluded their education. And so you've been invited to go and, and to sit and to watch them uh, experience this, this wonderful milestone in their life. Or even better than that, I'm going to raise the stakes all the way to the top. You get an invitation to a Cinco de Mayo party. <laughs> you know, that thing comes in and you're going, oh man, Cinco de Mayo, Adio, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me tell you something. Jesus is our invitation to pray to the Father. Jesus, Jesus is your invitation to come to the Father and pray. And there are times when you'll come to the Father and you won't have a word, but he will know what's on your heart. There'll be other times that you come to the Father and your words are few, but he will hear every thought. And there will be times that you come and you pour out your heart to him. And, and, and he will draw near to you to be with you. As a matter of fact, I believe that all that Jesus has done, all that Jesus has accomplished for us, is not unlike the garden. When Adam and Eve, with their stewardship of creation, are in the garden and they turn and they begin to see the boughs of the trees begin to move and the leaves begin to dance, and they look into each other's eyes and saying, he is near. And they move in God's direction to walk with him in the cool of the day, my friend, listen to me. Jesus 
is your invitation to come and be with the Father. But Danny, you don't know what I've done. Jesus, Jesus makes a way for you to come to the Father. But Danny, it's been a while. I remember when I was a youth pastor and we would provide opportunity for these young people to pray. I think one of the things that warmed my heart is when a young junior high or high school young man, you know, not the most vocal of individuals would, would bow their heads and, and squeeze their face together and they would say, you know, God, I know it's been a while. You know, God, I, 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 I've been having a rough time. And, and as they expressed their words, their heart to God, knowing that the God of the universe opens his heart and his arms to them, In verse 10, we read, your kingdom come. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're asking for two things. We're asking for his rule to begin in my life. That's the first thing. I'm asking that his rule would be evident in my life. I ask that his rule would be evident in my relationship with my wife and with my children and with my coworkers and with my neighbors. I'm asking that God's rule would be so powerful to me that those who know me, those who are close to me, would see that he rules every part of me. And then secondly, for Christ's return. We long for Christ's return. Our response to the evil in this world, our response to the chaos in the world is to look up. Our response to heartbreak, our response to destruction, our response to watching things fall apart is to look up. Because that's where our answer is. Oh, my friends, this isn't escapism. This is reality. Our hope is in the return of Christ. However, there's an already not yet tension in our requests. We long, Paul says, we groan, we moan inwardly, desiring for our redemption to be complete. Understanding that when Jesus comes back, we will be made whole. Understanding that when Jesus returns, he will rule this planet with righteousness. God's kingdom comes as we love others. I want you to think action. I want you to think action and not emotion. There was an idea I had when I was speaking to, I shared this a couple of Wednesday nights ago when I had opportunity to share on a Wednesday night, but I I was interacting with these uh, high school students who were talking about being servants. Uh, That was my topic. That's what I was talking about. And, and, And we were talking about what does it look like for a high school student to be a servant? What does it look like for you and I to be a servant? And and the best way I could come up with it was this. I said, you know, in our world, we aspire, especially in your world, we aspire to continue our education, to secure our degree, to maybe have a certain career path and, 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 you know, to be compensated accordingly. We may have a desire to live in a particular community or to to have a title or, or, or even a position. We may desire to have a certain office or a place in the pecking order. And I told him, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with those things. But I want you to think about this. Whether you're a junior or senior in high school or college, whether you're the CEO or whether you are the, uh, on the maintenance staff, think about this. God has given you a platform and a position. Whether your name is at the top of the organizational chart or at the bottom, it doesn't matter. God has given you a place and a position. 
We, glor- we bring God's kingdom to earth when we look around for somebody who we can help up. When there's somebody in our neighborhood who needs our assistance and, and we go and help them. When there's somebody in our company that we see is struggling, instead of criticizing them, we go and lift them up. We use our platform. We use our position. We use our title. We use our finances to bring them up instead of using those things to build me up. God's kingdom comes, my friends, as we love others. And oh, you need to know that beyond our words, these actions will speak louder. In Luke chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus was responding to the religious leaders when he said, For behold, or understand, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus' perfect obedience, his limitless compassion, his deliverance of the oppressed, his sacrifice for sin, reveal God's rule in this world. At the conclusion of our time together, we're going to observe communion. And there may be some of you here who who you go to church, but but you've never made the decision to follow Christ. I want you to pay attention to Jesus' words. The kingdom of God is in your midst. God's kingdom, his rule, his authority is amongst you. And what do you see his kingdom doing? You see his perfect obedience. You see his compassion for the multitudes. You see him delivering people from the kingdom of darkness. You see him upon a cross. And you see him this evening reaching out to you. Oh, my friend, please consider who Jesus is. For us, the kingdom comes when someone receives Christ. For us, the kingdom comes when we yield our lives to his spirit. For us, the kingdom comes when we pray for those who are suffering. For us, the kingdom comes now. And yet, we also anticipate its coming in the future. Along with the the Lord's kingdom coming, Jesus said, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Martin Luther called the Lord's Prayer, uh, taking ourselves back uh, so many years, he calls the Lord's Prayer a fearful prayer because although we ask for God's will, sometimes we're not quite sure what that means. Because we ask for his will in our lives now, we're not always sure what that looks like. And that, my friends, is where the fearfulness comes in. Our request is for God to order our lives for him to take over our lives and we would submit to him. Persistent prayer has the capability of aligning my will to God's. Again, Jesus' life speaks to us from John 4, 34, where he says, my food, my nourishment, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish this work. Sometimes the dissatisfaction we experience in this life is the result of pursuing our own will. Sometimes the dissatisfaction that we experience in this life is simply, is a symptom of us pursuing our own will. And the Lord's Prayer would say, turn your heart towards heaven and ask for his will. Now before we get into the second part of the Lord's Prayer, I want you to think about this. The Lord's Prayer moves us now from heaven's zip code to our neighborhood. 
It deals with life in the trenches. Please note that by first looking heavenward, we are now prepared to see the Father's willingness to meet our needs for regular sustenance. He can meet our needs for ongoing forgiveness and lastly, continual protection. So Jesus' prayer now looks to our need. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want you to consider this, that when Jesus begins with our most basic need, bread, food, when he begins his prayer with our most basic need, that it's his way of telling us that we can bring our smallest need to him. Nothing is unimportant. Hunger reminds us of when morning by morning a nation was greeted by bread that, all the bread that they would need for the day. Or when the prophet had bread along with meat delivered by ravens, both in the morning and in the evening. Think, too, of the Lord's blessing and breaking a couple of small loaves to feed the masses and then again having some left over. Or also, please, think of the night of his arrest. How broken bread illustrated the profound truth that this is my body. We live in a culture that worships self-sufficiency. We live in a culture that is bent on being independent. Nevertheless, each day we are to ask God for our daily bread. We may be on top right now. We may have more than what we need in our pantry or our refrigerator. We may have excess. We may, we may have some stored in another part of the house, perhaps a garage. But every day, you and I are to come to God and to ask him to meet our daily bread. Think about that. Think about it. We come to him and we ask for him to provide for us. And you would think, no, Danny, this is America. We have what we need and we have more than what we need. But slow down. We miss out when we don't come to him and ask for our daily bread. We need to understand that in the same way that Adam, as Adam walked with God each day and was nourished, let's say, nourished by his presence, Adam was nourished by God's presence. In the same way, our need for physical sustenance draws us to be with him. We are to foster a dependence on God's portion for us. The world fuels discontent, but God alone satisfies the hunger of the soul. This is where it gets interesting. Because you see, he says, give us. Give us our daily bread. It moves our thoughts away from me and mine to others. It moves our thinking away from what I have to what others, listen, don't have. Jesus' perfect prayer suggests that we may be the means of God's provision for another's need. Such an attitude approaches life with an open hand, understanding that nothing is really mine. Giving trumps hoarding. Generosity weakens the subtle pull of materialism in our hearts. My friends, we are to ask daily, give us our daily bread. The prayer continues in verse 12. And forgive us our debts 
Debts here is, means sins. We are to pray for the forgiveness of our daily or day-to-day sins. This has to do less with salvation and more with our sanctification or the process of us being more like Jesus. When I come to the Lord and I ask him to search my heart, when I come to the Lord regularly and I ask him to look into my soul and look, and, and the things that he shows me, I confess, I repent, and I ask for forgiveness, I am being changed to be more and more like Jesus in my nature and in my character. In Philippians 1.6 we read, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Christian has been delivered from the penalty of sin and is being saved from the power of sin. Sin being man's greatest, greatest problem, forgiveness being man's greatest need. And then as we continue, it's sobering to learn that my forgiveness is connected to my forgiving others. The request seems to be double-edged when Jesus says, for, asks, tells us to pray, as we also have forgiven others. That is that my forgiveness is connected to my forgiving those who have wronged me. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul writes, Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. In a very real way, forgiving is a narrow gate. But we must not forget that it is the road, that it is the path, that it is the gate, listen, that leads to life. Forgiving someone who's wronged you allows you to experience life and freedom at a different level. Simply put, forgiven people forgive. Sometimes our forgiveness simply is making the decision to forgive the offense every time it comes to mind. Think a process. That wrong comes to mind, and as I remember it, as I, the emotion begins to well up, I stop and I make the decision to forgive. And over time, those instances become less and less. The prayer concludes in verse 13 with a request for God to help us avoid any situation that might lead to sin. Verse 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Your Bible may have the evil one. I think that's a good translation. Humility leads the way. As we wrap up here, humility leads the way on this one. This isn't so much an insurance policy to cover potential loss as much as it is the assurance that Jesus stands between you and the devil. Jesus stands between you and the devil. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the one who watch over, watches over his flocks. Jesus is the one who moves in the direction of the predator in any, in any way that the predator might stand as the enemy. But we have a part in this as well. Again, in closing, I want to quote from the Apostle Paul where he says, our part is to put on Christ and to put off the flesh. Then in Psalm 91, we are, we are ourselves to dwell in the shelter of the Most High and to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. There is the, uh, there is the confidence in knowing that Jesus is with us, but there is also our part, which is to recognize that we are to put on Christ we are to walk in his identity. We are to take his authority. But it is also important to know that Jesus has made a place for us in, 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 in God's presence. I'm going to give you three words if you're taking notes. I'll give you three words. The first is connected, 
The second is community. And the third is relationship. Connected community and relationship. By way of application, be connected with those whose voices pray our Father. Your prayer life will change if you gather with others who, can, who pray this prayer. Your life will change. Your prayer life will change. Uh, it's easier for me to pray by myself. It's easier for me to notch out time in the morning. I'm very much a morning person. And to spend time on a regular basis praying. But I also need to make room for others. Because as I pray with others, my, my prayer life is strengthened. Secondly, community. Be in community with people who care for the needs of others. Be around people who are like your God, are generous in meeting the needs of others. Our prayer life will lead us and guide us to see people with need. And we will have the opportunity to respond. Be connected with those whose voices pray our Father. Be in community with those who care for the needs of others. And then lastly, be in relationship with someone who walks at your spiritual pace. You and I walk with God in the cool of the day. But listen, he has given us somebody who, who at our own pace will walk with us. Remember, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. My dear friends, as we conclude here tonight, please think of somebody who you can meet with to pray. That, that, that there would be an investment in your life for prayer and that and you would invest in their life. That there would be somebody, James says, confess your sins one to another, who you can bear your heart to. A person, I know you bear your heart to God, but a person your prayer life will change. So we close with Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus' words to you tonight, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, Jesus says. All who are weary, all who are burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Beginning, we said, beginning of our time together, prayer refreshes our soul. Oh, my friends, you will be strengthened in the inner man if you take Jesus' words to heart. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.